0: today's scripture reading will be from 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 33. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. There are over 800,000 words in the Bible. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, there are 31,000, I believe 31,103, maybe 106 verses, I forget, in the Bible. But not all of them are easy to understand. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, uh, Peter says that some of those things are difficult to understand. And if you're like me, you've been reading through and you run across a word and you think, what does that mean? And so where do you go? Well, I go to Webster. Webster wasn't around back then when it was written. So when you go to Webster, you're getting a more current meaning of the word. Generally speaking, that's probably, uh, it's probably good to go there and good to get a definition there. A lot of times I'll go into the original language and try to understand what is meant in the Greek or Hebrew, um, as i 'm studying through a passage, but even then sometimes passages, verses, even phrases are difficult to understand, and that 's okay. We may not understand all of it, and I suppose that will be conversation for us when we get to heaven. We get to talk to the Lord and say lord i didn't know i didn 't understand what you meant there." Uh, I did the best I could with what I knew, but I didn't understand that. Uh, And that'll be okay. There are some things that we don't understand in the Bible because, well, maybe we try not to understand. You know what I mean? You read it and you think, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Now, can you imagine disagreeing with what God's, uh, that's what we're doing when we read Scripture and we say, I don't really agree with that, we're disagreeing with God, but but maybe in our, we'll call it our unconscious, we're saying that, uh, that we don't really agree with it. And as a result of not agreeing with something, we say we don't understand that, and really it's a matter of us not wanting to understand that. And sometimes we look at passages in the Bible, and we're struck by them, and we say, that is a hard saying. I think one of the most challenging sayings in Scripture is Jeremiah 48 and verse 10, where it says, Cursed be he that doeth the work or the will of the Lord negligently. Now there's slight variation depending on which translation you're reading, but but that's, that's what it says. Cursed is he, or the one. And so immediately I'm asking myself, well, who is that one? Because if that one is cursed, I don't want to be that one. Cursed be he that doeth, what? The work of the Lord. Wait a second. You mean if I'm doing the work of the Lord, I can be cursed? Well, I really need to understand that because I think I'm doing the work of the Lord. I'm trying to do the work of the Lord, but I don't want to be cursed. And then it adds some clarification there when it says, "Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord negligently. And so there are passages like that that pique our interest because we don't want to be cursed, even though we think that we are doing the work or the will of God the Lord. And so passages challenge us. And then I think about the verse that was just read so well a moment ago there in 1 Kings chapter 16 in verse number 33. And just for emphasis, listen to it again, and Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And so when I look at that phrase, I want to know, what was it about this king that provoked the Lord more than any of the other kings before him? Because I'm not a king, I'll never be a king, but I don't want to provoke the Lord. And so what was it that he did that provoked the Lord? And so let's look at five or six things from Scripture this morning that tell us what he did to provoke the Lord so that hopefully we won't follow down that same path. Now, just brief background, 1 Kings chapter 16 finds us in that period of the divided kingdom. We've talked about it some briefly, especially if you're on Sunday nights. We've started that little series on Nehemiah. We'll pick that back up again next Sunday night. Uh, But uh, tonight, by the way, Q&A. But the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and that's the time frame that we're in. And first Kings chapter this is fascinating to me. First Kings chapter 16. We have one, two, three, four, five. We have five kings of Israel that are mentioned in chapter 16 alone. We start back in chapter 15, uh, just a little bit, and we read about Basha, then there's Elah, there's Limri, there's Omri, and then there is Ahab uh, there in chapter 16, beginning with verse 29, and we read about him all the way through chapter 22 and verse 40. And of Ahab, we know that he was the most wicked king to date, according to Scripture. Now... Before we look and see what it was that he did to provoke the Lord the most, I want us to look at that immediate context leading up to verse number 33. So we go to verse 29. And in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing, in other words, as if it wasn't enough, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of uh, Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, uh, Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshiped him and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he had built in Samaria so if you look at that passage perhaps your mind already knows what the first thing he did wrong was and that is he picked the wrong woman to marry you say well i'm already married what then the best you can I'm I'm just being honest, the best you can. In fact, later in scripture when we read about Paul's message to Timothy, what was it that he said? Who knows? By the conversation, the manner of your life, you may be able to win him to the Lord. And so, you do the best you can. But in his case, what happened? He married, he chose the wrong woman. Now, I don't know what you know about Je- I don't know if this is what Jezebel looked like or not. I just thought it was a creepy image, um, and Jezebel was a creeper. She was. She, when I read about Jezebel, I think of all of the creepy people, she's got to be at the top of the list. How many of your colleagues are named Jezebel? Do you have any colleagues named Jezebel? You're just shaking your head and laughing and all No. Now how many of you have named a child Jezebel? You might have named your dog Jezebel. But even then, we probably wouldn't call our dog Jezebel. But uh, maybe a cat, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not a cat person. But Jezebel was just evil. Now I don't know what it was about Jezebel that caused Ahab to lean into her and say, "I, I want you to be my bride. I don't know if it was her, you know, barring this picture, I don't know if it was her looks. I don't know if it was her personality. I I don't know what it was. I just know he decided to to pitch his tent, as the saying goes, Old Testament saying, to pitch his tent toward Jezebel. Uh, But that's what he did. And I know that old wicked Jezebel came from... A, a background in which they didn't really care about the God of the universe. In fact, they had two primary gods that they served. The first god that they served, the, the, the male god, if you will, was the sun god. The second god that they served, the female god, was the moon god. And so they had the two primary gods planetary structures uh, covered, sun and moon. And that's who they served. And so once he, Ahab, married Jezebel, guess what? He just leaned right into that type of uh, pursuit in loving and serving false gods, the gods of Jezebel. And so that's why we have there in verse number 31, it says that he took the wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, the king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal, served Baal, and worshipped him. Now sometimes what happens in relationships to keep peace, folks, uh, they'll they'll marry, and and one's a Christian and one's not, and, and they'll come to church just to keep peace. But that's about the extent of it. But that's not the case here. What's going on? Here it says that he served Baal, and he worshiped Baal. In Genesis chapter two and verse 18, the Bible says that the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, and I will make him a helper that's fit for him. Another translation says, I will make him a helpmeet suitable for him. You know what that word helpmeet really means? I mean, if you just get right down to the nitty-gritty of the word, the overall idea, it's this. Someone who's going to help me get to heaven. That's really what it is. And so when we're looking for someone to marry, especially our young people, I think about you guys. When we're looking hopefully way out in the distance, but, but when we're looking for someone to marry, you want to make sure that you find someone that's going to help you get to heaven. Eleanor Roosevelt had this to say, One's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. And I think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He made the point that we choose our companions very carefully or wisely. Ahab did not. And consequently, as a result of that, he provoked the Lord God to anger more than any before him. Second of all, and closely tied to it, he worshipped the wrong god. We see that in the very text, don't we? In verse 32, and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. He offers up an altar to the sun god. And he not only serves him, as we saw in verse number 31, but he worshipped him as well. The woman he chose to be his wife contributed to his going down the path of idolatry. And this is not always the case, but it is generally the case. You've heard it said before that um, if you spend enough time with someone, you start to look like them. Have you seen some of those funny images uh, on the internet that that shows a couple? You know, here they are when they're uh, when they're maybe dating, and here's here they are when they just get married. But here they are after so many years of marriage, and you can hardly tell the difference between the two. Because they've spent so much time with one another that they just sort of look like one another. Well, there is a spiritual truth to that as well. When we spend enough time with someone, we start to look like that person spiritually if we're not careful. The Bible talks about the, uh, how, that, how that idolatry shapes our lives. In Colossians 3 and verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Two more verses very similar. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. One more, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is covetousness? How would you define it? I suppose if we were to pull out some religious dictionaries, Bible dictionaries, we would see the old uh, definition that covetousness is an inordinate desire. Inordinate, there's a word we don't use very much, just strange, or uh, exceeding, if you will, beyond. But covetousness is an inordinate desire for another man's possessions. But there is an example of where a Bible dictionary gets the word wrong. Because covetousness is not having a strong or an unusual desire for somebody else's stuff, but it's having an unusual, strong desire for your own stuff. That's what Jesus said in Luke 12 and verse number 15. And covetousness, the Bible says, is idolatry. And so we say, well, I don't serve Baal. I don't serve the God of Ashtaroth. I don't serve the sun god, the, the moon god, or any other. I don't serve it. But what brings you genuine joy? You see... If what brings you genuine joy is what gives you purpose and it's your stuff, then Paul, Jesus, might argue that you're an idolater. That you're practicing idolatry. There were four Indians that decided that they would get together and they would master something. And here's what they did. One said, I have mastered a science by which I can take but a bone of some creature and create the flesh that goes with it. I, said the second, know how to grow that creature's skin and hair if there is flesh on its bones. And the third said, I am able to create its limbs if I have flesh, the skin, and the hair. And I, said the fourth, know how to give life to that creature if its form is complete. And thereupon the brothers went into the jungle to find a bone so they could demonstrate their specialties. And as fate would have it, the bone they found was a lion's bone. One added flesh to the bone, the second grew hide and hair, the third completed it with matching limbs, and the fourth gave the lion life. Shaking its mane, the ferocious beasts arose and jumped on its creators and killed them all and vanished contentedly into the jungle." And such is the case when we bring life to our idols. It conquers us. It destroys us. And it certainly destroys our relationship with the Lord. And when I think about what it was about this king that caused him to anger the Lord more than any else, one thing was he worshiped the wrong God. But here's a third thing. And again, closely tied to it. He loved the wrong things. He did. If we go just a little bit further in First Kings, you remember I said that First Kings sixteen about verse twenty nine through chapter twenty two and verse forty, we read about King Ahab. Well, when you get to chapter twenty one, just a couple of chapters, uh, oh, a few chapters over, it says that Ahab had spotted a vineyard, a beautiful vineyard that was right next to his palace. It says it's, it's right next to my house. And he offers Naboth this very special vineyard. But, but Naboth turned him down because it wasn't right for him to hand over this vineyard to Ahab. And so he refused. And as a result of this refusal, Ahab becomes very angry. And you know the story. Ahab goes crying to his wife, Jezebel, and Jezebel didn't like Naboth anyway. And so, you know what happened? They made sure that Naboth paid for it with his life. And so, the short of it is that Ahab, he loved the wrong things. And you and I can find ourselves in the same position at times. You know, John said in 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, that we've got to be careful with what we love. Wally taught a good class this morning, as he always does, and and he made mention of the fact that love is a word we just kind of throw around sometimes. Well, I love my house. I love my car. I love fried chicken on Sunday afternoon. I don't really. It's okay, but but when I'm talking to Christians, and I know how Christians love their fried chicken on a Sunday afternoon, but, but we just kind of throw that term around, right? I love this, and I love that. Well, John said, be careful with what you love. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're not of the Father, but they're of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but... He that does the will of the Father, well, he will abide forever. And so, what do you love? Who do you love? What are your priorities? He struggled with this. Ahab struggled with it. Well, he really didn't struggle with it. He just made the wrong choice. And as a result of that, he angered the Lord more than any king before him. I think maybe I went backwards. There we go. I know that we've had some in the audience that have experienced a scene similar to this. I have not personally been through a a house fire. I've had friends uh, that have gone through it before. But there was a couple, their name Angie and David. They'd only been married for about six years, and their, their house burned to the ground. And when Angie had gone back to the house to see what she might be able to recover, she noticed a a box there, and and that box had some of their uh, most precious possessions in it. Things like wedding pictures and very special letters. You know, the kind that you write to one another when you're dating, especially. And those things survived. They were a little charred, but, but they survived. And so Angie goes back to David and, and describes what has happened and, and what survived. And he's going through those letters, and he's going through those pictures. And she was just watching him do this. And she, her, her heart just began to, to flutter. She was realizing why it was that she married this man. As I watched David kneeling there in the ashes, she says, I was overcome with certainty that we were meant for each other. There in the face of our greatest tragedy, our first thoughts were not of our material loss, but of the potential loss of these precious parts of our life together. As I knelt to help him with the letters, I was certain that we hadn't lost anything that mattered after all. Because the priorities were in the right place. Here's the fourth one. Well, he chose the wrong friends. Remember, what we're doing is we're asking ourselves, what was it about Ahab, about his choices, that caused him to anger the Lord more than anyone else prior to him who had ruled? Well, one of them was he chose the wrong sorts of friends. In chapter 21, verse 20, when Elijah approached Ahab about his wife's transgression, Ahab took his words as that of an enemy. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. And Ahab, when he considered what Elijah, who should have been his friend, but he he was a prophet, but he should have been more than that, should have been his friend. When he considered what Elijah had to say, he thought, well, this guy is against me. And isn't that often the case when we seek advice from from folks and they give us advice that's contrary to what we want to hear? Sometimes we think, well they're against me. But the reality is they may be the only one that care for us. You think about being in this church setting. Have we ever have we ever found ourselves in a situation where you know, a friend comes to us, a brother or sister in Christ, and they say, you know, I, I heard what you said, and I, I heard those words that-, that you were using. And, and-, and those words, they just, they're not the kind of words that ought, ought to come out of a Christian's mouth. I- and you know what? <laughs> they say, well, you don't know what anger does to me. I, when, I, when I'm that angry, those four-letter words, they just kind of fly. And, 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 and I, know, I, I know that it's something I struggle with, and here you are coming to talk to me about it, and, and you don't really care that much about me. It, it, it's the person who cares, that loves us. That's an Elijah to us, that challenges our thinking. Well, he chose the wrong kinds of friends. Jeremy Taylor said, By friendship you mean the greatest love, the greatest usefulness, the most open communication, the noblest sufferings, the severest truth, the heartiest counsel, and the greatest union of minds of which brave men and women are capable. And he chose the wrong people to surround himself with. He followed the wrong advice. He followed the wrong counsel if you will. In chapter 22 and verse 8, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. There are some things that I don't like to talk about. I don't like to preach about them. I suspect that there are some things that the elders don't like to sit down and talk with church members about. They would probably rather just sit down and and talk about, um, I don't know, Virginia Tech football. This guy right here would probably talk to you about Virginia Tech football. we got a couple of guys that are elders that would like to talk to you about Cincinnati Reds baseball. And I, I imagine, except for the last two of three nights, because the Braves have beat the Reds, but that's, you know, for jeering later. Uh, but I suspect our elders would just assume, sit around and talk about those kinds of things. Our elders would like to sit around and just talk about Jesus and, and, and share the love of Christ, and, you know, this is, this is what you need to do to become a Christian. Our elders would like that. There's some things they don't want to sit around and talk about. I'm quite certain they, wouldn't, they don't want to talk about hard things like, you know, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I'm sure they don't want to talk about things like that. I don't like preaching about things like that. I don't like preaching about things like modesty because it, it rubs people the wrong way and they get mad at me until wintertime, and, and everybody's dressed a little more, covering a little more, and then they forget how mad they were about me for preaching about immodesty, and then summer comes around, and then they get mad at me again. Well, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to preach the Word, and, but I don't want to preach about topics like that, and a host of others. But you know what? When we know that people are elders, our Bible class teachers and stuff, they, they, They love our souls, and they're trying to give us advice. They're trying to give us counsel that will keep us on the straight and narrow, that will keep us on the road to heaven. We should accept it. I mean, we shouldn't follow it blindly, mind you. We should should look at it in the Scripture and and make sure that we do have a thus saith the Lord for what what we're following and who we're believing. But we shouldn't just dismiss it. 2 Thessalonians two eleven and 12, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's a whole lot easier to believe unwise counsel and falseness, even lies, if you will. It's a whole lot easier to believe that when it jives with what we already believe. But it may not get us to heaven. We need to love and we need to listen to those who have enough courage to tell us the truth. I was telling uh, Wayne on Wednesday night, he, he started talk, talking about hunting and uh, going to Alaska. So I was a little bit motivated by that, Wayne. Uh, I told him that one of my dreams is to go to Alaska and fly a bush plane in the Alaska wilderness. I would love to do that. I don't know that I'll ever get to, but I, I, that's my dream, is to go fly an Alaskan bush plane. Well, this is not actually the plane I would want to fly. I want to fly to Havilland Beaver, uh, but this plane looked pretty cool there on the snow. Looks like Alaska, maybe. Well, there were a couple of hunters that loved to hunt every year in Alaska. And they would go and they would, they would hunt for their game. In this case, it was moose. It doesn't matter if you're saying moose, singular or plural. It's the same thing. But they were hunting for the moose. And uh, the uh, pilot dropped them off in the wilderness and then took off and came back a, a week later. And they had caught, or not caught, but they had killed two moose. Two of them. And the pilot said, I, I, I noticed that uh, you have two moose. And I told you that you could only, you, between the two of you, you could only have one moose. I could only handle the weight for you two and the one moose. And here you are with two moose. And one of the hunters said, well, last year when we did this, the pilot allowed us to have two moose in the plane with us. And, and uh, he said it was all right. And the pilot said, well, Okay, if, if the pilot last year said it was okay, then um, I guess it'll be okay, so go ahead and put both moose in the plane. And so they gave it the power, and they, they took off, and they were really struggling to gain altitude as a result of being overweight, and thankfully they didn't go into a stall, into a spin, but they could not clear the hill in front of them, and they crashed right into it. But they survived. They survived. The pilot, the two hunters, and even the moose meat was going to be okay. And the pilot said to the hunters, I thought you said that we were able to, you were able to take off last year, that you were able to have two moose on board, and, and that was no problem. And the hunters said, well, you know, it, it wasn't a problem for us to take off. But just like last year, we crashed as well. But we made it a mile further. So we were just hopeful that we might be able to make it all of the way home. You see, that pilot listened to the wrong counsel, wrong advice. Ahab, he angered God more than anybody else. I don't want to be like Ahab. I I, I don't want to be like him. And I, I, I realize that, you know, there are some things, some choices, some decisions that we've made that, well, we may have to just do the best we can where we're at. For instance, marriage. But then I think about some of those other areas, things that we can do something about. You know, I can I can choose to worship and serve the right God. I can choose to have the right kinds of friends that will help me get to heaven. I can choose to accept the the right kind of counsel and advice. You see, I can make some choices that will help me go to heaven, or I can make some wrong choices that won't turn out very well for me in the end. Which do you want to do? I suspect I know the answer to that. I don't think any of us are really forced to be here. We could really choose whether or not we're here. So I suspect you don't want to be like Ahab. Now maybe you have made some choices that have put you more in line with an Ahab than a Paul, or Peter, or John, or some faithful person that you read about in the Bible. Maybe your choices have put you more in line with an Ahab. You can change that. You can change that starting today. And the first choice begins with who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God? Are you going to choose to worship God above all else? You know, the Bible says that that choice of coming to God begins with a realization of who God is, that God's the creator, the sustainer of the universe, that he sent his only begotten son into this world to save us from our sins through the shedding of his blood and our accepting and obedience. Would you be willing to do that and to repent of your sins and confess your faith in sweet? Would you be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Would you do those things? you can. You can make that decision. And then going forward, make the best decisions you can based on the Word of God, and you'll go to heaven. No question about that, because that's called faithfulness. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. If you've made some poor decisions, and you realize it, and you want to change that, you want us to pray with and for you, let us know. However we can make this morning's invitation yours and help you to do that we're, we're here to assist as together we stand and as we sing.